Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello friends and welcome back. I hope you have had a good week and I'm going to start by saying a massive, massive thank you to Alicia who joined us on Monday for a slightly different focus of podcast, another topic that I really am so keen to talk about and raise awareness around uh, and some really great parenting advice as well. And if you're a parent or you work with young people, the conversation today is another fab one full of great advice um, and tips and, and to be honest, Sorry if you can hear background noise. One of my neighbours is renovating, um, renovating, I don't know if that's the right word, a VW camper van. And I'm so jealous because, well, envious uh, in the words of Rosie Withy, um, because I definitely want a VW, or not maybe not a VW, but a converted camper van and to go off on adventures and, and all of that. Um, anyway, <laughs> back to today's conversation. It's an amazing conversation and I think there's some really great insights from Mike, whether you're a parent or not, they're just general life advice around mental well-being um, and the impact of lockdown and and all of those kind of things and also about hobbies and how beneficial they are for our mental well-being. So although we do talk a lot about youth mental health, actually this is so relevant to anyone. So uh, as I said, there are some of the things that we talked about, spotting the signs, how to talk about mental health with a young person. And again, I think that could be applicable to any loved one uh, that you wanted to talk to about mental health. So great conversation. Um, there is a little bit of Zoom lag occasionally, so I apologise for that. I feel like I've been very lucky that it's not usually something that happens that much, but there is a tiny bit. Uh, so just a heads up about that, but hopefully not too distracting. It's not constant, otherwise all of that would <laughs> be a real headache. Um, but I really hope that you enjoy this conversation and I'll be back super quickly at the end. Hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest Mike to the podcast. So Mike welcome and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. So yeah my name is Mike. I have been working as a uh, mental health practitioner for a a children's um, mental health service in West Yorkshire for now for about six years but I've been working with children and young uh, young people and, and their families for about 12 years in total so doing kind of parenting programs and kind of um, working with young people around kind of mental health needs so that's kind of my kind of background you know I've got training in what's called person-centered therapy which is kind of the most kind of classical kind of talking therapies that most people will know about you know and I've kind of got a bit of experience with cognitive behavioral therapy um, what's called systemic practice which is the the basis of family therapy uh, and more recently I've, I've finished a course on what's called interpersonal psychotherapy which looks at uh, supporting kind of teenagers and adolescents with the symptoms of depression uh, and how that kind of impacts on their wider kind of relationships really and how depression itself can be quite isolating and kind of limits a lot of those kind of social skills so it's about kind of breaking out of certain kind of patterns of behavior um so that seems to become more my i would say my specialism recently it seems to be kind of working with a lot of depressed teenagers yeah um and more recently i've been kind of 
branching out and trying to kind of look into something a little bit different at the moment, which is kind of where uh, Hobbies Health Projects has come from, which is my little thing I'm kind of starting up at the moment. Um, so the brand of that is still quite in its infancy and trouble kind of working out kind of what that's going to look like, whether that's me offering some kind of private work at the moment, it's looking at um, kind of trains around that at the moment. Um, and basically kind of looking at also the value of kind of hobbies and how they they impact on our mental health and well-being. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm so happy to have you here and uh, to chat. And already so much I want to ask you. Um, but as you've just mentioned, hobbies and, and the benefit on our mental health and well-being, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that and, and why they are so beneficial. Yeah. So hobbies have always kind of been that. Well, we as human beings have always been quite social beings. You know, we need kind of other people. And I think kind of part of our well-being is the ability to explore who we are as individuals. And I think kind of hobbies kind of offer us a lot of that opportunity to be around Uh, similar-minded people and generally you know hobbies are a place where people gather under you know a banner of we like this activity and we'd like to do it together you know so whatever that hobby may be be that a sporting interest whether it's uh, something kind of more kind of art-based or kind of more you know story-based or something like that so me personally uh, I belong to a couple of kind of tabletop gaming groups you know I've belonged to kind of computer game communities before less so recently since I've had children, but I think that's kind of where the tabletops kind of worked better. Um, and even more recently, blacksmithing, of all things, kind of, there was a part of me that's kind of like, I want to make something and I'm going to give that a go. So it's an opportunity to kind of explore new skills, you know, new talents and, you know, and talk to other people who have similar interests. And and I think for us all, I think sometimes we can kind of get a little bit lit a little bit lost in terms of kind of what we do day to day so where our jobs almost kind of define who we are and that's kind of what we're limited to and I think you know particularly my experience of being a parent is sometimes I just become I'm their dad I'm not Michael anymore I'm just you know Abby and Eddie's dad and sometimes kind of you know that you know who am I amongst all of that you know where you know yes I am that person you know they're my children's you know parent but I'm also a person in my own right and I have my own interests. I have my own thoughts and feelings, and and uh, I guess hobbies kind of give us a place to to be ourselves uh, and to explore different parts of ourselves in different contexts. Yeah, awesome. And I was just thinking of the different hobbies that I have as as you were talking about that, and um, and I think yeah, I, I I mean I love learning new skills, and I often fall. I'm not a parent, but I often fall into the work is my <laughs> my thing that that defines me, and um. <laughs> I think also that that community and, and the people you meet and that that shared interest and I know you talk about that sense of belonging and how important that is to us. Mm. It's a bit like dating sometimes. It's kind of like where do you meet different people? You know, in the sense for you've kind of go to different places to find them. Yeah, and I think again for for teenagers as well, where that sense of belonging is kind of really quite pertinent to their their brain development you know the need for kind of connections in hobbies and and that sense of belonging is really really kind of even more important um but i think again just as important for us as adults as other kind of distractions start to kind of kick in and we get you know a little bit lost in in day-to-day life really well, I suppose we, you mentioned dating with dating. There's lots of um, apps that you can use to meet people, yeah. but meeting friends and meeting p- people with similar interests is more difficult because, I mean, there is, I think Bumble has like a friends side to it now, but it's, uh, you know, as an adult, it's like, well, where do, where do you meet people? Where do you find friends? Um, and so I guess hobbies is a really great way of meeting people that already have some similar interests to you. 
yeah and again it's it's that already you've got a common ground it's not like again like we're dating where it's kind of like you know you you've kind of feeling out that trying to get to know one another kind of already and you don't know as much okay you've probably read their bio or profiles or whatever it is and depending on what that says you've got a bit of understanding but I think the hobby already you you've got a talking point and that can be the focus and it can just be of course then people will use it as much as they want to in the sense of you know talking more about it less about it, talking more about themselves and mm. and such and it's just again it's it's just that icebreaker even of just that well why are you here well I'm here to do this activity and you know and what do I enjoy about it and there's a lot of kind of conversation can come from that and that's of course could add to that social confidence as well um of just again being around people kind of like oh this is you know the safety conversation of the stuff we can talk about and be okay with absolutely and so with lockdown and I know uh, we've got listeners all around the world who maybe have slightly different uh, situations how is that with the, with the people that you've been working with how has that been impacting their mental health generally um and you know with hobbies and yeah I mean personally within my work my, I'd say majority of my caseload at the moment is largely teenagers who between the ages of 15 and 17 who I think has been probably more disrupted by the education factor of things and sense of being taken out of education and losing that kind of purpose in their day-to-day life of you know getting up go to school doing kind of what teenagers should and I say should with you know in in kind of Mm. quote marks you know should be doing so a lot of them kind of felt really quite lost you know uh, and that there's going to be some sort of kind of significant impact on their on their future and a study by young minds um, has equally been kind of tracking um, young people's mental health throughout the lockdown and again they found very very similar things uh, whereas within the first couple of lockdowns it was largely about feeling lonely uh, feeling isolated and you know and not having contact with people even though they could there were still kind of limitations upon that so mm-hmm. I think one of the studies was around 2,000 young people and 80% of them said they felt isolated you know, even though about 70% of that number were still talking to their friends, they still felt isolated. And again, I think that's kind of where the impact of, again, of hobbies and interests and things like that being taken away has also had that big impact because they've lost those social forums, those places where they'd normally go, or, you know, or do you know, things they do together. Again, me as a parent, again, got a, a two and a four-year-old. So mm. we used to go swimming. We used to go to soft play and all this kind of stuff. And and for weeks, we couldn't even go to the park because they were closed. Um, so we felt like right failures as parents because we were kind of like, we can't provide these opportunities for our children anymore. It's just, you know, a lot of kind of play. And I mean, to be fair, they loved it because they got an awful lot of our attention. But nonetheless, we were kind of, you know, we were really struggling. Um and I think that's, again, the same for teenagers was they just lost a huge amount of kind of places they could go, which provided them that kind of social interaction, school being the massive one. But of course, you know, just general being outside, being around others, you know, then that fear of being around others, you know, uh, because of, um, of kind of risks of COVID, um, but also their interests, their sports, you know, their places that they would, they would go to kind of play games together. I think really the only kind of young people I've seen who thrive the most are probably those who are quite socially anxious because mm-hmm. they didn't have to talk to anybody anymore and they they probably had a greater online presence. And so again, lockdowns could provide them a lot more 
opportunities to explore there and be in that world so actually there are some young people kind of being quite okay about it because they're able to kind of explore what they do already but again I think then as we as parents are kind of going well you're a teenager and you should be out you should be doing something different and I think that that in itself is a whole different story about how we as parents kind of look at what our children do um, and then I so said the other half of my caseload is is the younger end of children who have just kind of become largely more anxious um, just because of, I guess this message of the world being a bit of an unsafe place now um, so a lot of kind of anxieties mainly you know so it's kind of a bit of a split younger end become massively anxious because the world's unsafe and the older end just feeling very lost uh, and that's had a huge kind of impact on general mood and functioning and everyone's quite depressed mm-hmm. their sleeping patterns are massively out um, and the first couple of lockdowns education wise they felt it was fairly easier in the sense of there wasn't as much demand upon them and now there's a huge demand mm. so there's a real kind of shift in, in kind of expectations and yeah so I think that's kind of been the biggest impact I've seen is just again this sense of feeling lost of yeah. which you know I think I personally can share in as well. Yeah I'm, I'm, I can as well and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can with with whatever their experience is like and yeah I imagine for for teenagers it's it's a really big time of figuring out who they are and their identity and a lot mm. of these things that um, that they've lost in this time are really integral to kind of understanding who we are the things we enjoy the people we're with mm. um that structure teenage years are not easy anyway <laughs> so. mm. yeah and I think it's, it's part of that discovery it's again the naivety that they know what's going on in the world and you know that kind of like well, I know better than my parents kind of thing and less understanding of risk or less awareness of risk or less thought upon it a bit more impulsivity and such mood swings and all that kind of stuff yeah it's quite normal um but it is about that you know from about 10 years old children's kind of brain development kind of shifts in what's called the conformity stage of brain development so they're going from quite an authoritative one which is very much about the world you know fairness is equality and everything you know should be split equally so if you've got a child under the age of 10 you know if they're kind of saying well I should have the same as everybody else that's quite normal thinking for that age Mm. but after about kind of 10 11 it starts to kind of shift to that well everyone gets to play out later than I do and that means I'm boring that means that says something about me why is it that I can't do those things because people you know and people are going to start to think this stuff about me Mm. it's that you know who am I amongst the world? So why is it that they have this and I don't? And what does that say about me? You know, and that those fears about kind of what everyone sees in us. Um, and I think, yeah, as you say, it's that's part of that. Who am I going to be? You know, what kind of adult I'm going to become? You know, they're getting these messages from school that kind of says, you know, these exams that you're working towards are the, you know, this pinnacle point in your life that's going to determine the rest of your future. So there's a huge amount of pressure there. And of course, then, you know, we've got other kind of scripts in place about this kind of, so what are you going to do with your life afterwards? You know, what are you going to become? What are you going to do? And it almost kind of a lot of young people feel like they're being filtered into this kind of narrow kind of linear pathway of Mm. you do school, work or college and then university or you carry on working and that's it. You know, that's your path in life. Um, And I think, again, this, this lockdown having kind of, shifted the path for a lot of people have left them feeling quite lost because that script that kind of this is what you should be doing has really been quite messed up and I think it kind of shows kind of how reliant we are on that kind of what's next kind of way of thinking yeah um so 
yeah i was wondering i forgot what the question was but um <laughs> yeah I don't know. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah about meaning in teenagers yes so yeah. um yeah so again we're having that lack of direction I said I think it's really kind of challenged some people's resilience because and shown them how reliant they were on that kind of pathway some young people have really kind of got creative and just again taken it by storm they've created their own businesses and you know I don't know again they've kind of made the most of their online presence you know using kind of different things create YouTube videos and you know TikTok's massive at the minute and Instagram and just kind of going off and having fun whereas a lot of young people just haven't learned that level of creativity they're just learned to being spoon-fed kind of what life gives them and expected to, to kind of get on with it um and i think again when that stopped that kind of direction that kind of path was kind of cut short it stumped quite a lot of people yeah absolutely so obviously you know as we've said it's it's a, a difficult time for everyone you know children <laughs> all the way through um but for for parents listening or maybe anyone that works with young people um what are the kind of signs to look out for that actually their mental health is deteriorating and it's not just i don't know kind of usual covid anxiety type stuff that that there is maybe um a deeper concern Mm -hmm. yeah generally i guess it affects kind of different age groups differently i think this is again where a lot of parents kind of go oh is this just being a normal teenager or not um and i guess the thing that kind of mental health professionals always kind of focus on more is um persistence of kind of these these symptoms general kind of stress symptoms you know, are kind of changes in our physical health so we we'll probably notice that we're getting more headaches when we kind of children complaining of of stomach upsets in some ways so tummy aches and things like that um you know particularly more so in the mornings um can be quite common new aches around the body particularly kind of around the neck and shoulders can be quite common um and just general kind of changes in temperament so you know irritability kind of easily quite agitated and easily kind of angered by quite the littlest of things um and some young people you know again teenagers more so might describe kind of feeling sad for kind of very little reason Uh, and if these symptoms are persisting again generally it's it's agreed that about over four weeks you know a month in time then that's probably kind of showing there is a mental health concern here. Um, because again, we are, we do have our down days. We do have days where we get angry and sad and stuff like that. And that's just the the roller coaster of emotions sometimes. But I think when it's persistent, but it also starts to have a detriment to our day-to-day functioning. And that's the other thing. So what kind of impact is it having? So is your you know, young person starting to eat less? Are they starting to kind of show difficulties in their sleep? You know, are they showing kind of lack of motivation in things or avoidance of certain things? So they're no longer talking to friends or wanting to go out. They're just isolating themselves a lot more than you probably think they would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, even, the, you know, if young people did have a big online presence, they were kind of in their rooms anyway. Do you notice they're kind of not doing that as much? They're probably just more just sat around on their phones and just doing less kind of active kind of engagement in things. And again, you know, that change in temperament, again, are there you know, more arguments? Are there kind of more kind of difficulties with them where, again, you're concerned? Again, we can kind of go into the more higher risk stuff if we're concerned about young people kind of self-harming, for example. And, you know, again, it would be a lot of those kind of factors, you know, in terms of kind of redu- you know, reducing in self-care. But the other thing would be about changing in clothing um, in the sense of if they're not wearing their normal clothes in the sense of, you know, maybe they're wearing a lot more kind of cover-up stuff, um, and again, that's going to be more difficult given in lockdown that everyone's been got used to kind of wearing pajamas and, and dressing gowns, you know. So 
you know, it's not our normal wear or, you know, kind of pajama bottoms and a professional top. Yeah. So it's a little bit more kind of difficult to track that, but I think it is just noticing those, those differences. And again, if they're sticking around, then this is probably a bit more than, you know, just a phase as kind of a lot of parents might kind of often assume it is. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And so uh, if uh, you know, parents are listening and they're thinking, oh, that sounds like my child, I'm, I'm concerned, mm-hmm. what, what should they do? Well, if you're in the UK, generally we have, we've got our NHS kind of mental health services. So generally your locality will have you know, a, children, a, a child and adolescent mental health service that you can contact and kind of say, look, these are my concerns. You know, again, talking to you, you know, if you're not able to do that, um, though a lot of kind of localities do have the ability to do that is speak to your GP about it and kind of just talk about your concerns. Um, and again, you know, usually the GP will refer a young person on, on your behalf if, um, if your local um, mental health services won't allow you to self-refer. Um, so that's usually the main thing. But I think the best, best thing is just talk to your young people first and it's going to say, look, this is what I'm noticing. I'm noticing that these things are happening you know what do you think about that how are you feeling about that what's going on for you and if you've got that kind of level of relationship with the young person where you can do that great and then you can maybe kind of agree to just kind of monitor it for a period of time together and kind of like okay you know just let you know i've seen it and i just want to make sure you're okay um a lot of teenagers fall foul to this um idea of that, that they don't want to burden people you know or that talking about their difficulties will cause worry um and i think again for for parents who are also kind of worried about kind of getting that reaction from young people i think there's a way of kind of reframing the way that we kind of talk about this stuff and that kind of like look you know i don't want you hiding things from me because you think i'm I'm gonna worry because yeah i am gonna worry about you because i love you and that's you know i'm your parent it's my job to worry about you and it's my job to kind of help you but i don't know how to help you unless you tell me you know i can't be expected to do something unless i know how to do it you know and you know and there'll be times where i want to help and i'm going to get it wrong and it's just going to make things worse for you so you know if you need help let me know what you need and i'll help out um and i think it is that kind of normalizing why we worry it's not this negative thing it doesn't have to be your problems are going to cause me problems it's that well my not knowing is going to cause me probably more problems mm. um you know and it is again that is it's what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy where you know young people will go well i don't want my family to worry about me so i'm just I'm not going to talk to them but they end up causing the family to worry about them because they're not talking to them so it's and of course then that's the the young person's experience they're trying things and doing things to try and help the situation but actually it's causing this kind of unhelpful cycle of behavior um and their experience of that is, well, I'm trying my best and it keeps going wrong. Um, so again, that kind of avoidance becomes more and more and more. And I think it is just, again, parents tapping into that and just kind of saying, look, it's okay to talk if you want to. Yeah. So again, it is, you know, try and talk to them to yourselves, just kind of say what you, what you see, you know, and again, reassure them that it's okay to talk about it if there's any problems um, or even just check in who they're talking to, you know, who are their friends and what's going on. Uh, and again, if you're still concerned, then, you know, there are a number of mental health charities that you can talk to, um, you know, popular ones being, you know, Samaritans and Childline and such like that. They'll always signpost parents if needs be. Um, but generally, all, you know, within the UK, there are um, mental health services, you know, within the wider 
in, in other countries, I'm sure there'll be kind of mental health provisions within schools and such like that. So again, there'll be well-being. Um, you know, or we call it pastoral here in the UK, but there might be kind of like school counsellors um, or, or people like that, that young people can kind of connect to or parents can kind of chat to and can say, look, we've got these concerns, what support's available? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I think that idea of burdening, I mean, I know a lot of adults still have that feeling as well. I think that's yeah. can be quite a common one with mental health, can't it? If I don't want to upset people, so I'm going to try and just deal with it myself. Mm. And actually, as you said that, you know, we can get stuck then in that place. Yeah. And I think sometimes the expectation that maybe as adults, we should be better at dealing with our mental health because we're adults, you know, we're, we're meant to deal with things ourselves. We shouldn't be asking other people because they've got busy lives too. They don't want to be listening to my problems and such like that. So again, we get that, that unhelpful voice that kind of talks us out of it a lot of the time. Yeah. And then of course that just prolongs the issue because then the only place that we're thinking is in our own head and we're already looking at that through a negative lens so what help is that really going to do us really uh, and that's again where the helpfulness of other people can come in because they offer us a different perspective yeah so yeah and i think that kind of and that again hobbies and interests stuff like that again that gives you access to a new friendship base you know where again it doesn't have to be about i'm off to find my best friend but it's just a new cohort of people who again give you that that opportunity um, just to be around people and to talk and kind of make new connections. Um, yeah. And again, kind of just kind of do something for yourself, give you a bit of joy in your world. Uh, Cause I think that's kind of really kind of what hobbies should be about is bringing some semblance of joy. Uh, and I said that kind of sense of belonging and, you know, feeling like we're being really who we should be. Yeah. Yeah. Joy is one of my buzzwords. So we'll come back to that in a little while. So I'm glad you, you brought that in. Um, but yeah, so it sounds like, you know, hobbies and being around people are those really healthy kind of coping strategies we can have to kind of make ourselves feel better and to feel connected. Are there any other kind of healthy coping strategies that you'd recommend that, that people can try for themselves? Yeah, I guess it, when we think about kind of healthy coping strategies, I guess we've got to understand what healthy means. Um, so the, the the metaphor I often use with young people is this, uh, it's called the emotional bucket and it's something you probably can find on, on the internet quite a lot. It's, it's not uh, patented by me or anything like that, but it's the idea that, you know, we are these, these beings, you know, and again, you know, if you think of yourself like this bucket of water and all the things that stress you out is the water that fills you up. Um, and as your bucket starts to get full, you'll start to get warning signs that you're getting stressed out and full. And that's the stuff I described earlier, the, you know, the headaches, the sickness, the aches and things like that, the changing kind of our personalities. And when that bucket gets full, we usually kind of have one of two reactions. Either we get our bucket and we throw it, you know, we launch it. We, so we have a big kind of outward expression of emotion. And that can sometimes be described as like rage or you know, people use the word of breakdowns and stuff like that. So it's just where we can't contain it any longer and it just pours out of us, you know. And, you know, generally there's something helpful in that because even though the process can sometimes be quite unhelpful and a bit destructive because we may say things or do things that we don't really mean to do, or again, we kind of show more of ourselves than we really wanted to show. And of course, there's going to be that kind of shame and embarrassment from that, but usually it prompts a helpful response because people hear it, they see it and they come and go, well, what the heck is this about? And that's usually kind of where that problem talk takes place. 
because it's just too much to contain. So now we have to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room now. It's kind of there. You know, the alternative is if I can't express myself like that, well, I'm going to take my bucket and hide. You know, I'm going to cut off any new stresses coming in. I'm just going to deal with what I've got. Um, but unfortunately, that leaves me with a lot of kind of negative energy, which is, if it's not aimed outwards, it's only named at me. And that's going to leave me kind of, you know, very vulnerable to, you know, very strong depressive thinking, risk of self-harm, suicidal thoughts, you know, all this kind of stuff, because where else is it going to go? Uh, and hopefully I'll emerge, you know, after a period of time, feeling like my bucket's emptied out a little bit and able to get back on with things. Um so the way we kind of stop that bucket from overflowing is we have to develop coping strategies, ways that we kind of allow that energy to kind of come out. So generally coping strategies are aimed to be helpful, um, but not all of them are healthy. So for example, you know, if my way of coping is to, I don't know, put a hole in the wall or to shout at people or to get agitated at people. Yeah. I'm getting my energy out, but it's coming out in a rather unhealthy way in the sense that, as a consequence of that, there's going to be a lot of negative attention. There's going to be a downside to that, which is going to re-stress me out. So if I'm a young person, you know, I'm going to get people telling me off and asking me what this noise is about and why am I putting holes in the door and getting a lot of kind of unhelpful conversations coming from that. So it's going to feel guilty and there's going to be an atmosphere. And again, the same with adults as well. When we blow off, with, you know, blow up with people and we say things we don't mean, we get we feel guilty and all that's doing is filling our buckets back up. Yeah, we can also have negatively influenced coping strategies, or at least this is what I believe. And it's that idea of that we do things that we believe were going to be helpful for us. And we enjoy that time. But then afterwards, when we kind of finish that activity, so maybe, I don't know, playing a game for a couple of hours or watch a couple of hours of YouTube or telly. And this little voice kind of, as soon as I finish, comes up to me and says, you've just wasted two hours of your life doing nothing. So now... I've done something hoping to make myself feel better and it probably did a little bit, but now I'm just feeling guilty because I've just done nothing productive with my time. Um, so now I feel bad. So, and that's kind of sometimes kind of how that low mood thinking can be quite, you know, maintain itself. It's just this constant state of, we're not doing good enough. You're not doing well enough. So we're trying to find things that don't have that impact on us, mm. that, that allows us to kind of enjoy that time and it doesn't have that negative feedback. So that's what we call kind of healthy, coping strategies and i guess it's kind of whatever it is that you feel kind of gives you that um whether that's you know exercise has always been considered really kind of good for you know low to moderate levels of of kind of low mood depression as we want to call it um so getting kind of about 20 minutes of exercise a day can really be helpful you know um again we feed a lot off the information in our bodies so good good diet you know good health drinking plenty of water because again if you're dehydrated then concentration goes and just generally feel a bit lethargic and don't want to do anything so again looking after your body but i think it's anything again you know that gives you that sense of accomplishment a sense of joy just kind of feeling good afterwards um so again kind of doing an interest doing something for you that you want to do not that you feel that you have to do um because again they're always stuff that we have to do or we feel that we need to do but i think actually being able to do something that you chose to do because it means something to you is more important. I think that's kind of a real kind of healthy coping strategy. And a lot of people probably sat here thinking, well, what is that? Um, you know, what is that thing that does that thing for me? And I think it's that, listen to that little voice inside that kind of says, oh, I wish I could have done that. 
you know, when you've been browsing through YouTube or in you know, social media and you're watching other people do things and that little voice can say, oh, that looks great. I wish I could do that. The question really should be, well, why aren't you doing it? Why, why can't you do it? You know, why not? What's it going to cost you to try? I think that's really the kind of mentality to kind of really think about of just getting up and giving something a go. Um, and that's kind of where kind of Hobbies Health Projects kind of came to mind, really, is that idea of, well, what stops us getting into new interests and what, how is it that we talk ourselves out of these things? Because we're a little bit socially anxious and we're kind of like, well, yeah, there's new people. What are they going to think of me? What if I make a fool of myself? And all these kind of what if questions, which are quite normal, anxious thoughts. But again, they hinder our ability to actually start anything. Or again, that kind of that thinking that kind of doesn't believe in ourselves, that kind of, oh, what's the point in trying? Because it's not going to succeed. It's not going to, yeah, I'm not going to be running marathons in a year's time or anything like if I start running or, you know, I'm not going to be the next, um, I forget his name now, the, the guy who's been doing all the fitness programs. Oh, Joe Wicks. That's the one, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to have, you know, yeah, a cheese grater abs and all this kind of stuff, you know, in, in a year's time. So it's just that kind of, it's not going to work for me. And we kind of talk ourselves out of it before we've even tried doing it. Um, or even just not knowing how to start um, in terms of where to go. Where are these places that you go to find these interests, these activities? And then it's, you know, how much money do you need to start it? So there's all these different kind of reasons. Um, and generally, if you, there are some probably kind of, principles that kind of like well you know it's finding what's out there how much will it cost and usually generally people starting out and things if you go to these meets and things like that generally there's no cost to these things it's just taking that step to do it um and then depending on how involved you want to be depends on how much investment you put into it it's not just of money but also of your time um so it's also what you want it to be so coping strategies is anything that makes you feel good and is obviously morally safe sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah yeah and I was thinking as you said the um you know exercise and that's something for me when I was um depressed for a, a long time and then I realized like how long I'd actually been depressed for and I'd googled what's good and I was like right <laughs> gonna try this thing and there was an element to start of like having to make mm-hmm. myself do it like this will probably make me feel better and I'm going to make myself do it, but trying to find the sort of exercise that I enjoyed and that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And it was that I'm going to like, nothing else is working. I'm feeling pretty crummy. So I'm just going to try it and see what happens. And then if it doesn't work, yeah, I'm not worse off than I was before. And actually it was really beneficial. So yeah. what's, it, what's it cost you in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just that. Yeah, again, it's what's it cost you. But I think, what, I guess the other thing you're talking about there is, I think when you kind of bring your expectations down to a realistic level in the sense of, you know, I, I felt like, you know, I'm going to start running, you know, but then if, you, if you're expecting yourself to kind of get really good at it really soon, I think you're going to end up kind of tripping yourself up. You're kind of setting yourself up to fail really with these expectations because you'll start, running and you might manage a couple of miles if at best i mean i mean i can i think manage to you know half of that before i start to kind of get a bit wheezy and again if you you could think of that as kind of like oh that's clearly i'm rubbish at this um and i think again that logic puts us off and i think we forget about the journey we forget about the process of being in the moment how are you feeling actually going for that run what did it feel like to get that accomplishment of getting off the sofa getting into your running shoes getting into your gear putting a bit of music on and just being out you know, it didn't have to be about 
doesn't have to be about how fast you were, how far you went. It's about enjoying the process. You know, how does it make you feel doing it? You know, not kind of what's next. And I think, again, that's kind of where we get a lot stuck in terms of this kind of whole, if I'm going to start a hobby, I want to be good at it. Well, yeah, there's, there's going to be a sense of enjoyment out of that, but you don't have to be the best. And I think it's about setting it up as what's this really mean to me? Is this about my enjoyment or actually is it about improving in some way or, you know, taking this to the next level? And I think you kind of have to set that expectation for yourself in terms of what do you want to get out of it? Yeah, I think for myself, when I started the gym, my kind of success, if you like, was being consistent of going. And so if I had those days where I didn't really feel like it, mm-hmm. I was like, well, if I go and even if I only do like 20 percent, I'm there. And that for me, because I'm definitely one of those hide with my bucket type people. <laughs> um, so it's like if mm. I'm if I'm there, I've I've shown up and something is better than nothing. So if I have if I've done that, then that's good. It's not about how well I've done it. Maybe when I get there, I'll feel better. But if I've gone and done something, that is for me what I was kind of measuring it by. So mm. um, the goal that I was doing more than you were doing before positively on that is really powerful um, because it is that well I'm one step further than I was before um, and this is kind of often I have to remind people about when we set goals for ourselves we have to think of goals like ladders we don't just jump from the bottom of the ladder to the top you know we have to take the steps we have to take the rungs you know and if the idea of going for a run or something of that piece of exercise you know, a bit of exercise whatever form that takes if the idea of that just fills you with this kind of like I can't even get myself off the sofa well, then that's your goal. It's just what steps do I need to do to get myself out that door? You know, so I need to get up. I need to have my kit ready. I need to kind of be in my kit. I need to get to the front door and, you know, and get my music going or whatever it is that I'm going to do and just get those steps. And once you've achieved that, okay, next step. And it, and it is that um, just, it's that again, because what's it going to cost you? Because if it doesn't work out, or how's your di- position any different as it was than it was before? Which is exactly what you said of, well, at least I've done 20% of a workout, which I wouldn't have done if I hadn't been here. And it is that yeah. being able to reflect on that success of I've done something different. And the key thing is, has it made a difference? You know, um, and that's kind of really kind of what we look for, particularly kind of working with low, you know, with low mood and anxiety. It's about what we call reality testing um, and looking at that. If you do this thing differently because you're in a stuck in a cycle of behavior, if you break out of that and do something just a touch differently, does that make the bigger difference? And that's really kind of the, the core of what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, really. It's just getting out and doing it, testing these beliefs, these feelings that you have, because quite often our beliefs are based off things that we think will happen. We don't know. Mm. We're just assuming. So actually our information is largely false because it's not been proven. And that's what we need to go and do. We need to prove to ourselves that actually it isn't as bad as I think we think it is. And you know what? If it was, well, great. Yeah, at least you were right. And you can yeah, you come home and <laughs> say, at least I know I was right.